podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Emil Heskey, and you're listening to the guys from Coppin Crackers. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Top End Fraka. Happy to have you here. Not happy supporting this club right now, but I'm happy that you're here with us to, to join us in our misery. With me here today, I'm, I'm joined by Mush, Chris, and Mike. Happy to have you guys here. Hopefully, we'll have Ellis join us a little bit later. Yeah, guys, what a time it is to support this Liverpool team. Uh, but before we get into the actual agenda and discussions for today, I just want to plug our socials. So if you're not already subscribed to our YouTube channel, please make sure you sign up. It is a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of content coming from there. We're working on a lot of things behind the scenes. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a thing. We have our Discord that's always running at every Premier League and Champions League live game. So please sign up to that. All of the links for these things will be in our Twitter account so while i talk about a twitter account make sure you follow us you turn your tweets on if you're if you're super super keen to hear everything we have to say in lifetime and follow us on instagram follow us on instagram we're posting pictures discussions debates all over the place so we're taking over the world honestly taking over the world so yeah make sure you're following us on all of your dsps make sure you follow us on all of your social platforms and yeah without further ado let's get into this game guys a 1-0 loss against Burnley. The first... This hurts me to say, because I'm always boasting about this on our post-match patrons. Our first home loss since April 2017. A run that stretches over 68 games. And we lost it to who? Burnley? Mush, help me out. You're always quite reasoned. You're always quite rational in your... In your um, in your in your arguments and your discussions, sometimes you do like to go a bit crazy. However, please tell right. me about this game. What on earth happened? Wait, in fact, oh, before well. that, before that, can I ask you this? Will we ever score a Premier League goal again? That's the big question, isn't it, Harold? <laughs> That's the big question. I'm trying to I'm trying to be measured about it, but it's just become ridiculous now. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, what we do, what I do want to say in terms of a voice of reason I think a lot of the problems we're seeing are quite repetitive in terms of uh, obviously no goals uh, conceding silly ones but one thing I will say is that if you notice and I'm guessing it's evident on our our heat maps as well is that we're playing further up the pitch each game within this bad run and what I think makes that a positive at least is that whereas against Southampton against Newcastle we were pulling our hair out at the fact that we weren't even creating openings. What we're seeing now is that 
we're just breaking down in the final third. That final pass or that final sharp decision to lead to a goal, we we just can't seem to create that at the moment. So I, I do have a bit more hope. We did. We were really frustrated, I think, all of us who watched the game in the sense of the, the deliveries were so bad or little things like a good touch or a good layoff that creates the goal-scoring opportunity. Those were the things that were missing. But what I was really happy with is how quickly we moved it through midfield. I felt like we spent the whole game playing in Burnley's third of the pitch, not even just in in our in the attacking half. So, yeah, yeah there, there were positives. We're nearly there. I think we're nearly there in terms of seeing some form of sustainable Liverpool form and patterns of play. Okay, cool. All right. So, I, I feel a bit better about myself. I feel a little bit better. Mike, our our, our politician of the podcast, happy to have you here as, as always. Um, yeah, just... just Touching on from what from what Mush said, are you are you also a little bit more optimistic? Are you feeling a little bit better? Try not to include the result from Manchester United because we will get into that. Um, we will get into that the, the FA Cup display. But trying before that, before we saw that the display on Sunday, what, what what were your feelings about the performance? Are you feeling a little bit better? Are you feeling worse? What's going on? I guess with the Burnley game, I did feel this a similar level of optimism to Mush, just because we did progress progress play quite well. Matip and, and, and Thiago helped us do that a lot. And I think the, the the problem with the Burnley game was the quality in the final third. So often the problem has been we've been, we struggled to get into the final third consistently. But this the problem in the Burnley game was just the quality in the final third. And I think if anyone epitomised that, it was Trent Alexander-Arnold, who I think he puts in the most crosses he's put in in the Premier League game before. And actually Tom Warwell and Michael Cox wrote a really good piece on Trent's form for the Athletic. And in the first half, what Trent does is he puts loads of lofty crosses in, which are headed away quite easily. And obviously, against Burnley, who have Ben Mee and Tarkovsky at centre-back, those lofted crosses will not work at all. So in the second half, all of Trent's crosses, nearly all of his crosses, are driven crosses low into the box. These crosses are a lot harder to execute and, and to pull off, but he puts these low crosses in. The execution of these crosses is poor. Again, these are difficult crosses to execute. But the approach was slightly better in the second half. Like those are slight bits of encouragement. But I just think it was a lack of quality in the final third. And also, because we've been on this bad run, the players let small things get into their heads. So they so the way they react to like small things now is different to the way they would react to small things like if we're in a, on a good run of form. So yeah. Salah comes off the bench and has a shot straight away. And like the way he reacts to the shot, he it's a good save from, from Nick Pope. But he reacts as if like he's lost us the game, like he's really distraught and missing that shot. And previously, when Salah has one shot, he's like, okay, you know, I've had my my first shot of the game. I'll have another one and another one. But like everyone's so anxious that you know, every chance meant a lot to us in the game. And I think Manny as well kind of epitomised our lack of quality in the day. I thought he was really poor. I think Manny's been poor for large chunks of the season. To be honest with you, it's not spoken about a lot at the moment. But I think he's been quite poor this season. And yeah, for me, I, again, we're going to go to the United game at some point, but. There were some some small signs of encouragement just because we were able to sustain the pressure. It's just that there was a lack of quality in the final third, and that's the, that's the main concern. But I do think, given the quality of these players, that like these are world class players who just bang out of form, we will eventually get there. Like Trent will get back to his best, Manny will get back to his best, Salah will get back to his best. When Mike? When? When? The key thing. That's the key thing, though. The key thing is when, because if they get back to their best in March, the season might be already done. So they need to get back to their best. In, in like the next few weeks because we really need them back at their best very soon. 
Mike, can I ask you a question? Out of the players sure. you've just said, out of the players you've just said, which two or three do you think are closer to come? And this is to all of you, really. Which ones do you guys think are closer to coming back to their best? And who do you think is far away from being at their best? I've been worried about Manny because oh, I just... This season, I just don't think he's performed that well this season, to be honest with you. Like, he's had, a, a, like, the one-off games that he's performed well. So I think of Chelsea... I think of Everton, he was quite good that day. I can't think yeah. of like a string of four or five performances in a row where Mane's played well. So I think he's probably the one that I think is furthest away. I think his quality on the ball when he's in terms of passing in the final third has been quite poor. First touch as well. Terrible. First touch has been quite poor. So he's a bit of a concern. I think Bobby and Salah are probably a bit closer than, than, the other, than, than Mane. Trent, to be fair, shows some encouraging signs on, 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 on against United. But again, he still looks far away. So I would definitely say, out of the front five or six players that we have, probably Robin and um, Stada. Like I, I don't really see enough from the rest to suggest they're anywhere near their best or going to approach their best form anytime soon. Yeah, I. It is. It is some. There does need to be a little bit of an inquest as to as to what exactly has gone wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a very funny comment there from from Fahi. Um Yeah, there is like there is a bit of a, there does need to be an inquest there coming on from um, from this really massive downturn in form. I do think it's a combination of things. However, I did start off by when I when I did ask uh, Mush, will we ever score again? We have gone four Premier League games without scoring a goal. That is the first time we've done that since the nineteen ninety nine two thousand season. That is worrying. That is worrying. Origi had a chance against Burnley where he was clean through on goal. But I want to ask you, Krish, is he to blame for this loss? If if he scores that, do we go on and win it? What do you think? Um, you know me, Harold. You know I don't like to kind of lay lay my uh, lay my hopes on what could have been, what ifs. Um, I mean, there's, there's there's no point at the time it was in the game if if Origi scores that chance, they probably get the encouragement and it gives everyone that massive lift they need to push on to the next level. Yeah. Especially with it being on the stroke of half time, and I think with him missing missing the chance, the collective heads went straight afterwards. Because um, uh, you know, I love using I love using this word. A kerfuffle ensued um, <laughs> quite, uh, quite quickly afterwards. So it, it would have been a massive pivotal moment in the game. But I mean, I, I can't blame Divock Origi for, for that. I mean, yes, he should have scored, but ultimately. Um, we were playing a Burnley team that had only scored nine goals, eight or nine goals for the entire season. Um, we had a lot of the ball the first 30 minutes. Um, they, were, they were fantastic. And in all honesty, they just didn't, didn't capitalise and they just didn't show any encouraging signs of breaking down a Burnley team that just came in to sit deep and absorb all the pressure. So it's it's a team it's a team loss at the end of the day, but you can't help but look at that Divock Origi chance and sometimes you think, wow, what would have been? to turn around the form. Yeah, it does. It did just feel like that. And it did feel like, even if we played another, I don't know, 90, 180 minutes of football, we were never going to score a goal. It just didn't look like it was going to happen, no matter how long we would have played. But, Els, I do want to come to you. There, was, there has been a... Oh, sorry, actually, I haven't introduced you. Welcome, welcome, Ellis. Welcome. How are you? I'm well, sir. I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yes, yes. Not, 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 not too bad either. Not too bad either. Thank you very much. Happy to have you here. Um... So yeah, I was just going to ask you. We we did get a, a question in from from one of our listeners, uh, Anik. <laughs> he asked us. Um, we, we we basically we gave Burnley their first penalty of the in, of the entire season. 
<laughs> probably the probably the only penalty they will ever get this season from from how little movement they make into the box. But who was at fault, do you think, for the goal did, that we did concede? Because we have conceded for the first time in about I don't know, like like, like for a few a few games as, at least. Who was, who was at fault for the goal? He asked. He says, "Is it Thiago? Was it Fabinho? Was it Allison? Chris? I'll come back to you, mate." I know you said that you're not really one to, to blame a certain person or, or to put, pin, pin a, a chance down to someone, but who do you think was at fault for that, for that goal that we, or the penalty, rather, that we did concede? Uh, was it Thiago? Was it Fabinho? Was it Alisson? Um, I feel like you can make a strong case for every single one of them in all honesty. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it felt a bit more Fabinho to blame. Um, obviously, Alisson should have found himself being wandering in, in no man's land. Um, and as much as you want to argue it, um, it, it, it was a penalty in the day. But um, but yeah, I think Fabinho should have been a bit, bit stronger in terms of getting it, in, getting it and clearing it out. But I think it's it's one of those things that ultimately happens when you're on poor form. And I think it's a bit of a systematic thing that's happened all season, really, for Liverpool. Um, we've just been, at every single turn and every single uh, opportunity, we've been punished this season. Um yeah, and it's it's. I think the and I'll talk about it a little bit more later. But the only time we've the only time we've reached the memory, I don't think we've been punished is that Cavani header <laughs> from from the weekend, and that hits the post. And that is literally the only time we've not been <laughs> we've not been we've not been punished. Yeah, I was going to say Els is um yeah, he's looking like he's back home in Jalunda with a few of my brothers, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an international calling card for Ellis rather than a. a <laughs> I went to the shop three for five pound. It wasn't working well. Like, <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah, we, need that, um, we need that Labara mobile. So we'll start off, we'll start off today with, with some reason to give me a little bit of hope. Saying that we're playing a bit, a bit closer to goal. We're looking like we have a bit more of an attacking onus about us. Like we actually are going to score. What, what needs to change from here? Does... Obviously, we're getting closer and closer to the end of the January transfer window, which we will discuss a little bit later. And and Diogo Jota is obviously nearing um, his time back into the team. So does he solve any of those problems? I, I would actually say my, my proposed solution would be a different one. Um, reason being is that in the kind of season we're having, teams are playing very deep at the moment. And the kind of passing, the through balls that Thiago has, the long clipped balls that Thiago has, they're not the kind of passes where there's room to actually play in behind defences. What I actually think should be happening, personally, is that whenever our personnel sort themselves out, sort themselves out a little bit, I'd like Jones, Hendo, um, Ox, Cater, just players like that who two shuttling number eights who can play closer to the wingers to just offer a quick one-two or something. Yeah. I, I, I just don't... We are so accustomed as Liverpool fans of seeing Salah and Mane just pop the ball in and get it out again on the other side of the fullback where you're outside the fullback, suddenly you're inside because of a sharp one-two. And the opportunity of that pass just isn't available at the moment. So... I would actually say Klopp needs to be a bit braver in terms of where he's going to play these players. And we're going to have to accept the fact that we don't have our senior centre-backs playing and actually play with a bit more bravery further up the pitch because a lack of centre-backs shouldn't be having the level of effect it's having on our, on our attacking as it is now. I, can I interject about Thiago yeah, just because I have a point here. So I'm in two minds about whether you play him as a six or an eight because of our build-up play. So I think the goal we score actually against United, we'll come to United game a bit later, but that's an example of what Thiago offers you. 
sets the ball and he plays it through the lines to Genie, and Genie plays it to um, Firmino, who then plays it to Salah. But he moves the ball quickly, and Thiago's one instigates that move in terms of playing the ball quickly through the lines. And I do think he's the sort of player that really, you know, escalates our build-up play in 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 that kind of mid-third, in the first phase of the build-up play. And I think Henderson, when he plays there, he's played there and done an admirable admirable job before, and so is Fabinho. But obviously Fabinho is probably the best in that position. But like Thiago, like in terms of building play from that position, I think he's the best in the world. The problem is you want him to be the one receiving the passes that he's playing. So hopefully we can get Naby Keita in the team at some point. So he can be on the on the receiving end of his pass. I think Naby Keita, again, he's someone that we, we we know he's injury prone. But when he's fit, Mike, Mike, sorry, j- just to interject there, I, I would also like to marry Laurie Harvey, bro. But you know, <laughs> you know, certain things are, are just not going to happen. Bro, bro, I, I know, I know. Listen, Naby, but we do know, like, if Naby was receiving some of the passes that Chini was receiving as from Thiago, there'll be a lot more quality, I think, in the final third in between the lines and the pockets. And I do think that if Thiago is to remain as a six. I would love like someone like Cater to be ahead of him, but I, I just generally think that Henderson should play six now because if you look at the United game, like Thiago running towards his own goal was an absolute myth. <laughs> uh, he was struggling big time, I think. So ideally, probably have Thiago as an eight, have Henderson as a six. But I do think our build-up play will be hindered ever so slightly by Thiago moving third, third forward just because he is so incisive from deep. Yes, yes. So, I, sorry, can I, I, can I agree. Can I just add to that story, yeah. Harold? Um, yeah, yeah. The one thing I do want to say is Mike, Mike is completely correct. I, and I, I, well, when I say correct, as in I'm in full agreement of it. Two, two main reasons. First thing is that the further up you play a player, the less likely they are to see the ball and it's harder to get, to ball, get the ball to them. Mm-hmm. So Thiago is the kind of player you want him to have the ball deep because he has full vision of the pitch and has more areas to hit if he sees the, picks the ball up from deep. And the other big thing, because... Obviously, we know that rival fans are really equating our results to Thiago's presence on the pitch. That's that obviously, and that's natural. It's going to happen because of agendas and whatnot. But yeah. what's really what's really frustrating is that Thiago plays lots of good passes, but Thiago is the kind of player whose role and quality is only appreciated if the outcome of these passes is yeah. a goal-scoring opportunity or a goal. So it's almost like he won't get the credit until we start turning our results around. Whereas someone like Mane or Salah, they can cover up a terrible performance or a team performance by scoring a goal. Whereas he's more intrinsic to each result will probably be heavily affected by Thiago because of the quality he provided in general play. Yeah, and and I was going to add to that. I was going to say that for Bayern Munich, for those of you who do watch Bundesliga, he was spoiled a bit in having the, the likes of Goretzka and Kimmich do a lot of his running for him. So all he really had to do was just ping those fantastic balls that, that he can do so effortlessly. So I do think there does need to be a bit more context added to, added to it. Although he played in the six a lot of the time for for um for buying, he didn't really have to do too much tracking back. And even when he did, it was it was quite it was quite it was quite um it was quite varied. Like it, it didn't it didn't happen too often. But we we gonna are we gonna talk about Genie? By any chance. We will, we will, just, on, we, will we will in just a moment because we, we do have a question. We do have a question from a from a from a listener um who is who is uh, giving us a question live. But before that, I do want to ask you, Chris, because we were talking about forwards and Glam has given us a good question here. He's asking, he's asking us, would you guys switch most centrally? Uh, would you guys switch Mo Salah to to be a central striker uh, after seeing what he can do on Sunday and how he can stretch defenses? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Um, absolutely. At, at the moment, absolutely. Um, I think 
it's it's going to be understated how much those those goals are from the weekend, and they were both fantastic finishes as well. And his overall general play was too. So I think I just made the decision now um, for probably the next next six weeks or so, just to move most centrally. Um, I think the interesting thing that we haven't discussed is, and it might be a bit too late in the game to do it. I'm surprised he's not done it already. He's a switch to four two three one. Now, hear me out. It's something that we did do at Man City, and we did have two players sitting, and considering that they played the three in their midfield that they did, and it was a very good midfield, we didn't look overexpanded and we didn't look overwhelmed. So I think if we can, and, and this is just alluding to the fact that we might not see Fabinho back in um, midfield for possibly the rest of the season. So if we play a midfield sitting two of Thiago and Henderson, which I think does quite well, then you play a free of, and again, here we out. <laughs> here we out. Now we kite on the left-hand side of that three. Bobby is the 10. Mane on the right, and then Salah through the middle. I think that could work. Because it, it just spices everything up. It just spices everything up. Wait, is part of your reason for playing 4-2-3-1 to keep your favourite man, Bobby Firmino, in, in the team? I think he's been good, though. He's been good. He was good. He was good against United. He was good against United. I think if you just tell him, you just sit back a little bit deeper, let the space, and you've just got runners going in front of you, and you can pick them out. That is where where him and Thiago are going to excel. Because the thing with Thiago is, we've just given him so much space in the middle, we've given him so much space in the middle, expecting him to do so much defensive work. And then you've got no one running to get on the end of these fantastic balls he's been playing. So it's just a really wasted, a really wasted player in that spot. Um, and again, I think one of the things that really helps us from, from, uh, from Sunday, um, and I don't want to deviate to Sunday too much because I know we're still talking a little bit about Burnley, but, um, one of the things that helped us was that we just ignored the elephant in the room that was, um, not having, uh, you know, a fully fledged centre back partnership. So yeah. we, we 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 knew that that right hand side of the defence was going to be an issue. We knew that Manchester United were going to play on it. You knew Rashford was going to go down, uh, go go down there and cause trouble. But the fact that we ignored it and we still played as well, that helps us to kind of get the goals on the score sheet. So that might be that might just have to be the way to play 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 from, from now on. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, we, we do have a. I do hear Mike. He did. He did. Um, he did. Chap, he did like chap up the moment Mush mentioned um Genie Wijnaldum, uh Gucci Genie. <laughs> um, we 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 do have a question in here from a listener, and I don't want to butcher your names. I do apologize if I say this wrongly, but I'm going to say Uzziah. Hopefully, it will be Uzziah. Uzziah. Yeah. yeah. Uzziah. Okay. Apologies, mate. Apologies. Uzziah. Well, he asked a good question. So, and and I, I'm asking you, Mike, because I know you and I are back and forth about Curtis Jones. So. I, I know you'll be able to speak on this fairly eloquently. So he asks, how how Curtis hasn't got any more game time over the last couple of games is baffling. He was sound against United and offers plenty more than Genie. Reading it back is actually not a question at all. However, <laughs> it's, it's, it's more of a statement. Um, but what do you what do you make of what Uzair said? I think to be fair, Jones after the Newcastle game, he was really poor against Newcastle. I think he needed to spell out of the side. The problem is Genie Van Adams also needed to spell out the side for quite some time because Genie Van Adams, to be fair, it's not just his form, but he's played a lot of football for us this season. Partly because Fabinho's moved back into a defence, partly because Henderson's been out sometimes and 
other midfielders have been out sometimes. Virginia and Adam has been the constant in midfield throughout, really. Um, and I just think that's the reason Jones doesn't play because Jones needed to start the side. But Virginia and Adam, right, and Klopp. Klopp is someone that trusts players, and we see that when he, with the way he's letting some players play through, play for form, and play to play to get to their best. So Trent, for example, everyone's calling for Trent to be dropped, and he's playing Trent every single week. And I think Gino Ronaldo is another one of his players. He played 35 league games last season, you know, the most of any midfielder. And again, he's on course to be the, the midfielder that starts the most games this season. So he is someone that Klopp depends on. And I do think part of the reason he plays a lot of minutes is because Jones, again, when he played against Newcastle, was quite poor. And I think the problem for Jones is that he was playing within himself, and he has played within himself at times, and he's coming to the side. And what you want from Jones is for Jones to be expressive and to show his quality on the, on, on the ball in the final third. And I think he's done anything but that. And I think with Genie, Klopp knows what he gets from Genie. Unfortunately, Genie hasn't performed anywhere near the standard we know he can. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that, I think that's the reason Genie has played. Listen, I think Genie needs a spell out of the side myself. Ideally, it wouldn't even be for Jones for me. I think Cater, I, again, I hate going on about him because he's injured at the moment, but I think Cater would be the perfect man to bring into the side right now just because of his quality in the final third. And I think Cater, to be fair to him, does a lot of the things that Klopp wants from a midfielder. He, you know, he intercepts the ball while he covers space quite well. And in the final third, he's very incisive and he can play some clever passes. So I wouldn't even be looking to bring Jones in, but I would say Jones did impress me a lot against United on the weekend. So maybe he's back it back to his best. Maybe he's going to put in a few more good performances. But I do think Jones hasn't played simply because he needed a spell out of the side. I think his form did dip over Christmas just along the, just as the side's form dip, his form also dipped. And as yeah. a young player, we speak about protecting young players. He needed protection at the time. And I think Klopp's actually been quite clever in his management of, of, of Curtis Jones. Yes, yes, I, I, I do have to, I do have to echo that point. Um, and I do, I do feel like he was playing within himself, and that was something that we did, we did speak on. And what we loved about him is that he was quite expressive when, when he did, when he was on form. So I do agree with you. He was right. Both of them were right to have been dropped in that period. But the only thing is, Genie wasn't because, just because, like you said, Genie's most way, way more um, trustworthy for Klopp as yet. But yeah, we, we will move on from. From the whole Burnley game, we will move on from that. We did have another game uh, in the in the past week. It was against Manchester United, where we did see ourselves out with a three-two loss. We did exit in the fourth round, guys. Klopp has been in charge of us for six rounds, for six um, FA Cup records as such, and it's not it's not pleasant viewing. Let me just give you a quick rundown. Since 2016, our record in the FA Cup. So. 2016, a 2-1 loss to West Ham, fourth-round exit. 2017, a 2-1 loss to Wolves, fourth-round ex- fourth round exit. 2018, a 3-2 loss to West Brom, fourth-round exit. 2019, a 2-1 loss to Wolves, third-round exit. 2020, a 2-0 loss to Chelsea, fifth-round exit. And obviously on Sunday, we saw 2021, a 3-2 loss to Manchester United and another fourth-round exit. Those are six times in succession where we haven't yet made it to the quarterfinals, or as some people like to call it, the sixth round of the FA Cup. Mush, is this, is this worrying? I mean, look, this is where we, we hit a kind of weird wall where your views as a fan are very different to the views as a, of the club or the player. So... <clears throat> What what can we really say? As fans, we want to do well in everything. We we want to prioritize everything, but we don't we don't manage squads. We're not in charge of conditioning and all of these different things. So it's a 
Yeah, I mean, Fahi's just said that it's the Corona Cup, so he, he doesn't care. <laughs> well, we don't, we, he don't care about that competition. He don't care about that or League Cup. If he won those competitions, he'd probably piss in them. That's how much he cares about it. I, I know, I know. But but the point <laughs> is, that we, we were having a chat in the in the afternoon, actually, about kind of our approach to these things. And I think when you're, you're, you can't guarantee a good league season every year. And we said that Chelsea have this mentality of like, even when we're having a terrible season, if you can get a cup at the end of it, you kind of mask how tough it's been domestically. Whereas because we don't have anything going on in the cups, whatever's going on in the league is always glaring for us. So yeah, there's no hiding. The club strategy is obvious where it's the big boy competitions, but when the big boy competitions aren't going well, you just have to look and watch other teams get far in cup competitions where we could probably go miles into. Yes, yes, it, it, it is. If, I think, I think even even the most Yadar fan or or, or or the most Yadar following, so the likes of David and, and his brother Anik, would even they, they would even struggle <laughs> to say they would struggle to say um, that this record of the last six years is 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 is, is anything um, above decent. Well, not not even decent. Um, it is anything above poor, poor, as we say. It's it's been it's been woeful. There, there's no doubt about it. However. Let's take out the necessary, like the the whole deep dive over the whole FA Cup run in the last the last few years. Let's talk about the actual Manchester United game in itself. So we have alluded to it a few times um, in this in 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 discussion so far, Chris. And we could see a clear difference in how we played. We scored some goals. I, can't, I couldn't believe it. I had tears in my eyes. We we scored two goals in the game. Um, we actually looked like a decent side. We actually looked like we 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 remembered how to play football. Um. But yeah, it was a three-two loss. But I do feel like there was there, there were positives. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, yeah, end of the day, we want to win games of football. Um, you know, as much as I can say, I, I you know, I, I don't really care about the FA Cup or as it will be called in five years' time, the Ryan Cup. Um, <laughs> it's a game. It's a game against Manchester United, and I want to win games of football against Manchester United. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was nice to see score a goal. I, I, I was sitting there thinking, oh, bloody hell, we're for a treat here, aren't we? I know, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there, there are definitely positives to take from it. Uh, we looked a lot more fluid in, in attack. Um, you saw, saw players get a little bit more of their confidence back. I think, uh, you know, Mohamed Salah for a start um, was dangerous in, in the period. Um, he probably should have got a hat-trick. Um, Bobby Firmino gets two assists, um, looked really good in, in certain spells. Uh, James Milner, I thought, was absolutely fantastic throughout the game. I think he's 70 years old. It's nice to know that we're still taking care of the pensioners, not only giving them vaccines, uh, apparently mm-hmm. keep making them stronger by the look of that. Um, <laughs> and, um, and yeah, but I mean, I, and Trent as well. Trent, Trent came into his own little bit towards the second half as well. You've seen him getting a little, little bit more confidence. But there are... Some negatives we do have to take from that too. Um, the the, the centre back pairing, I thought Fabinho probably wasn't at his best uh, in, in the game. Uh, Thiago and Ginny weren't great. Uh, again, I think you saw the whole um, Thiago playing in the six, just how he doesn't work. Like I believe it was much said it earlier on without runners in front of him. Um, and and Ginny looked like he was just—I don't know if it was a combination of he, he was knackered or he was just kind of like. It's, it's a cup game. I'm just getting 60 minutes. I'm going to do my best non-belay impression, and I'll be off. Um, so yeah, it was, in the it was, comments have said that um, he's uh, Ginny's head is is currently in Catalonia. Nonsense. Well, they ain't got no. 
ain't got no money, so he can have his he can have, have his head in Catalonia. He can probably buy the club for his next uh, sign on. It was given like when Vince McMahon brought WCW. I brought my competition. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, the, there are negatives to take from the game, of course, because you lost and you didn't win. Uh, but ultimately, how we look at it, I think Klopp and the coaching team took it as a little bit of a free hit. Let's try a few few things out. It's um, not be as, as conservative. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. With the ball, as we saw, kind of allowing that right-hand side of the defense to be exposed. But ultimately, we played a lot more progressive um, football where we pressed high, which was lovely to see. And, and the energy was there. And I'm hoping... I mean, I'm sick of fucking saying it now. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that game was the turning point for the rest of the season. Yes, yes. We, 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 we do have to hope for that. We do, we do. Um, much as, as Christian said, we, we do, there were some positives to take out of that game. But I do want to ask you, because you gave a quite, quite a detailed analysis of exactly what went wrong um, against Burnley and over the last few games. And you also did a really good job on, on, um, on, on our Sunday pods, of, 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 on, on the main pod of, a few weeks ago. So I want to ask you, Mate, yes. what was different on Sunday that you haven't seen since even even Newcastle, where we actually create opportunities? Obviously, they they weren't taken, hence the nil nil draw, or or the Palace game just before that, the seven nil. So, what was different on Sunday for you? In a positive sense, in a positive sense, yeah. Why did we score goals essentially? What what was different? <laughs> I think Chris hit the nail on the head. I think one massive thing about this Gagan press methodology that we apparently represent although we haven't seen it in so long um one thing about it one thing about it is that you can only press and win the ball if you react quickly and your opponent is caught off guard and too often when we plan on pressing someone or you know trying to create a pressing trap our opposition has seen it coming so much. It has been probably a month since we won a press. We won a pressing opportunity and actually went on the counter attack. And it was so good to see Firmino, which he used to be a specialist at, creep in behind a Pogba or a McTominay and clip yeah. the ball. Yeah. Or, or someone like Thiago, Pogba turns on the ball, smack straight into him, and we're on the counter attack. We have not had that explosiveness and sharpness to actually win the ball like that. And I think the more we start seeing that again, it's almost like one of those where you need to do it. And once it comes off, you believe in it and you do it again. So what I'm hoping is that 
we get that how can I describe it? Just that just that enjoyment of winning the ball again because then you kind of buy into it and then what I would hope is that and this was what I was what you were saying, Harold, about speaking about it in detail. The best thing and the reason why Klopp employs Gagan Press is if you win the ball high up the pitch, then naturally you will find players high up the pitch also. It's not like they're jogging there or making their way there. Suddenly we've got a numbers advantage. How when Bobby put Mo through we were three on two. When was the last time Liverpool were three on two? So there are so many positives from just going back to the methods that made us successful in the first place. So I just hope we continue to do that. Yeah, we, we, use, we usually are three on two in certain situations, but Genie gets the ball in the edge of the box and just goes. Mate, do you remember the one on the right where Genie just had to roll it into Salah's path and then he just kicked it straight against Pogba and it just went off for a throw? <laughs> and literally the whole team looked at Genie like, it was harder to get that pass wrong than right. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want it. I I I don't want to waste my energy on Genie Wijnaldum. Believe me. Yeah, I, I think you know what in basketball they call it. Um, they call it uh like points in transition, right? Um, so yeah, exactly. And that exactly. and that is something that we've always been really good at. And then in basketball, when like so, let me. I'm trying to make the the, the correlation here. So in basketball, they call something called like a half court offense, where you're basically camped in the um, you're camped in the opposition's half as such, and you're trying to make a play. And that's what we've been trying to do for the last god knows how many games. So because teams don't really attack us in this low block, we don't really have time for we don't really have much opportunities for plays in transition like we normally thrive in. And so because of that, when we do now have the ball, we're just struggling to create anything. Whereas normally we'd get like a breakthrough on transition and we'd be able to actually make some some impact. So hopefully. That goes well, somewhere. Harold, there's a, there's a massive thing in football about you're more dangerous going into a space than waiting in a space. And yeah. I think Liverpool have been experts at exploiting that, and we need to just continue to do that. Right. Cool. Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. I, 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 absolutely. Mike, I do want to come to you. Um, I saw something in the last couple of games I haven't seen in a while, and you're... Your um, you spoke really well on it when we were speaking about Trent not too, not too long ago in, in a post match um Patreon um podcast that we had. He's speaking about Trent and he's the variation of his play. I saw him hit a crossfield ball for the first time in about two months and I almost cried. I was like, where has this gone? Don't you remember? Don't, don't you remember all those clips we had on Twitter last season of those crossfield balls from Robbo to Trent from Trent to Robbo and and so on and so forth. We're, we haven't even seen that in so long. We're not trying to drag anyone out of position, but that changed on Sunday. We look decent. We look like we're actually fluid in attack. So I do want to ask you, what was who were your standouts? What were you impressed by um, in that Sunday performance? Although we did obviously lose. I was impressed by the approach, to be honest with you. So I thought we were a lot more aggressive than we have been in previous weeks. I think in previous weeks, there's been a caution to our play, both when we have the ball and both in terms of how we approach games. And I think that's what impressed me the most. I thought Firmino, to be honest with you, had an impressive game and he, he struggled. And I think he kind of summed up the team in, in, in a way because he produces some quality, but he also struggles at times in the game. And I, I thought he was really good. Uh, yeah, I think for me, it's just the approach. And I hope it's not like a, a thing where it's a cup game approach. We only approached it in such an aggressive way because you win, you win or you lose, right? There's no three points to play for here. So you, it's all or nothing. And I hope this is an approach we take moving forward because I do think there is naturally as you lose form, you get you, you you become a bit more cautious and you become a bit more, you know, reluctant to put yourself forward. And I think and I hope that we, moving forward we are a bit more aggressive because we have to throw cautions to win at this point. We aren't in form. We know we have a deficiency at centre back. We have to just throw cautions to win. Liverpool's best form of defence is attack at this point, and we need to attack. Yeah. And I think 
what we saw in this game with Reese Williams is the story of Liverpool for the past two or three seasons. And I'll try and explain this a bit further. So Liverpool signed Virgil van Dijk and he plays left side of centre-back. And we have Robertson there, who's, who's probably the best defensive and attacking fullback in the world. He's really, Robertson's fantastic, obviously. Trent, we know, going forward, is probably the best in terms of the way he delivers the ball, etc. But Robert's a more complete player. So naturally, teams have targeted us down the left, the right-hand side. So every most teams build an attacking plan when they play Liverpool. It's like, OK, how do we get in behind Trent and how do we attack Joe Gomez or, or Joe Matip? And naturally, more often than not, this game plan doesn't really work. So Rashford might have tried that at Old Trafford last season and it might not have worked in the same way it worked this time. This time, the right-hand side still still gets targeted, but obviously teams earn more from targeting the right-hand side because they have Reese Williams there, or Nat Phillips sometimes has played there, Henderson's played there as well. I just think what you saw in that game was essentially Liverpool's right-hand side being attacked, but unfortunately we didn't have the quality to, to mean the attacks were defended well. And what happened is United gambled big time. So Rashford's literally absolved of all defensive responsibilities in the game and he stays forward and, and he's, he cheats, basically. Rashford just stays in the in the final third and whenever they counter, the ball goes straight to Rashford. And I think that's what happened in the game. But I don't think it's anything to worry about because we're not going to face Marcus Rashford every week. Human Son's obviously going to be a big threat in, in, in midweek, but we're not going to face Marcus Rashford every week. And I do think we need to precaution to the win because we, we looked a lot better when we, when we, when we attacked. I think Trent, to be fair to him, like people criticise him. Again, Trent's nowhere near his best form. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that at all. But we did see Trent perform a lot better on Sunday because he was a lot more aggressive in his play. He was overlapping. He was dropping deep sometimes as well. There was more variety to his game in terms of passing and in terms of movements off, off the ball. And I think moving forward, we just need to adopt that approach. We're going to play against Tottenham in midweek, another low block. And when we played against United's low block um, in the league, Trent was very conservative in his position. I think Tom Warville and Michael Cox wrote this in their piece. He almost became like a third centre-back. I want him against Tottenham to be very aggressive in his position, really high up the pitch, making those runs in behind, dropping deep, you know, all of that stuff, that kind of movement on and off the ball. And yeah, just for a caution to win, our right-hand side will get will get targeted and humans some will pose a threat, but hopefully we can defend that threat with Matip as Matip's come back into the side now, which will be which will be massive for us. But there's nothing to worry about. I, I definitely agree with Mosh. I just think we're at the point now where we have the deficiency. We can't let this deficiency hinder our progress this season. So just throw caution to the wind. Attack of aggression. And listen, we, we, we play West Ham after we play um, Tottenham. They are not as good as Tottenham Hotspur on the break. I can assure you of that. Listen, Antonio's a good player, but they're not going to trouble us in the same way. So we're not going to face Marcus Rashford and Human Son every single week. So we can afford to throw caution to the wind and attack with more aggression moving forward. Yes, yes. I think I think that was very well put. And you did mention a point there, that which does lead into our next topic, and it is about centre-backs. So, one of... Maynard are a good team, and I think a couple of their goals, it was just some good goals. I think the second goal... Well, I mean, you're always going to find faults in the goal. There's always going to be someone at fault, right? Even if it's the most outrageous... Even if it's like that, that beach ball goal that we conceded against Sunderland um, some, some years ago, <laughs> there's still someone at fault for that goal, right? However, the third goal, mo- more so, or the second goal rather, more so, where um, where, where Rashford capitalises just after ha- just after half time, um, where um, Reese Williams lacks, it does highlight why um, uh, Jurgen Klopp has been playing um, cent- um, been playing Henderson at centre half despite some 
despite an atrocious Fulham performance, <laughs> might I add. Um, but it, it goes to show that we're, we're just, he's just not at that level yet, um, unfortunately, for Reese Williams. He's only 19. He, he played in Kidderminster last year. He played some non-league football, so we do need to calm down in our criticism of him, not to say that anyone here has done that. However, you understand that he's not at a level just yet, right? Premier League champions, um, Champions League champions from the last couple of years ago. So, yeah, we have a certain level. But let me ask you guys. Centre-backs, 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 centre-backs. It's, it's, the, it's the word of around town in Liverpool at the moment. Mush, how far can this Liverpool team go this season without a centre-back? Oh, I hate this question because Chris asked me this a week ago. Um, and my answer was the same. My answer with Matip is we can still be good and we can still actually maybe, I reckon, still challenge for the league. Without Matip, which is a likely scenario considering his injury record, I have no I have no idea how we are at the 26th on day of recording of January and this club has not addressed this problem knowing the asset that they're depending on and how, well, I use the word depending on, how not dependable that asset is. So, yeah, man, that that's my answer. That's my answer. My 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 fate is in the hands of Joel Matip. Fair enough. <laughs> I think I think that's a pretty pretty dangerous um, place to leave your fate into. Uh, I must I must admit, but yeah, I, I I do have to concur with that, Mike. I'm, I'm in fact no, not Mike. Chris, I'm gonna ask you the same question. I'm gonna ask you the same question because I know you're always you're always the one asking us. Let me ask you, how far does this Liverpool team go? I'm gonna I want you to stick your neck out. Mush was kind of on the fence there. Stick your neck out. How far is this team going around another centre half? Where, where are we finishing? What what trophies are we winning, if any? It's a weird one because it's like what six points off off first, so you can conceivably say that we probably do win the league. But I think without, yeah, you're putting the best way in. You're putting your hands with, putting your trust and hands in Joel Matter to carry you to now to the end of the season is, uh, you know, fragile handled with care. Um, very very precarious um, to say the least. So um, it's it's a sticky one still. Um, I think <laughs> from, from from what I've seen from and, and again, you know, I was. I was quite harsh on Reese Williams at the weekend. I kind of, I kind of stepped away, rewatched the game yesterday, and I thought, you know what, he's been put in a position where it's not great for him, so I have to cut him a little bit less slack. Um, I think without a fully fledged centre half, I think second, third is the pinnacle for this team. Just in seeing them, how many games in hand Manchester City have got, the momentum they have as well. But again, definitely will change if we go on a mad run now with this incredible run of fixtures, but. Let's just let's just see how the cookie crumbles. Um, but with that being said, on a game by game basis, this team could maybe go all the way in the Champions League. Who knows? They're not in the best form, but let's just see what happens. Cool. I appreciate that. Thank you guys. Thank you for sticking that out a little bit. I know I know it's hard to think of when you actually have to sit back and you're like, wow, we're actually not who we, we once were. But uh, there was a little brief mention of the January, January transfer window and then just our overall ownership of FSG. And that's been the talk in our own group chat this week and the talk on the timeline for a few days. Mike, I'm going to come to you. Um, I do think you have a, a good, nice, reasoned head when you are speaking. And I think... This this week has really given us time to reflect on the ownership of John Henry and FSG. And I want to ask, does, does, does a failure to sign a centre-back in this season, does that taint our view on FSG? Some fans have gone to say that our time under them hasn't been a success, which I think is crazy. But what do you think? 
One thing I would say is the FSG is essentially sticking to what got Liverpool Football Club to the party, right? So Liverpool Football Club, apart from maybe Claven, who I don't think even was intended to be a short-term fix, I think he was someone who wanted to keep the club for a long time. Under Klopp, we don't do short-term fixes, right? I think Cork is another shout as well, but that was early yeah. in, Klopp, in Klopp's time at the club. Yeah. And what's got us to the party is long-term planning. Even with Van Dijk, for example, I remember the summer of 2017 when we couldn't sign Van Dijk, Everyone told the club, move on, sign Koulibaly, sign Laporte, sign someone else. They got Van Dijk and the rest is history. So the club is sticking to what they know and they're sticking to their principles and that's fair enough. But I do think the situation now is, is severe enough to justify a deviation from your principles and a shift away from your principles. And listen, I understand coronavirus has had a financial impact on the club like it has other clubs as well. But I think the failure to sign a centre-back could have... a more severe financial implications for the club because I think it's once your your your, your question you posed to Mush and, and Krish, I think if we don't sign a centre back, we could potentially finish outside the top four, just because mm. we can't rely on Joel Matip and Joel Matip isn't simply not um, a player that we can rely on in terms of robustness in terms of availability, and if we are in a position where we have to start Reese Williams or Henderson back there. There will be some games where we come and start because the balance of the side will be off. And I, I, I don't think it's sustainable to really go through the rest of the season with centre-back options being Fabinho, Reese williams Nat Phillips and Henderson with Matip coming and going whenever, he, whenever he's fit and available. That's not sustainable, in my opinion. And you have to look at the league at the moment. The league at the moment is very tight between first and probably like seventh or eighth. Yeah. Aston Villa, if they win their two games in hand, they go above us. If Everton win the game in hand, they go above us. Spurs, if they win the game in hand, they go above us. We could be, you know, eighth or ninth by the time everyone's played their games in hand. So we have to realise, but at the moment, the, the conversation Liverpool are having is, can they finish in the top four? That's the first conversation to have. And then it's like, OK, by March, are you close enough to be in a conversation with a title? So I think like the club are risking, really, not just the title here, but top four. And that's why I think you need to compromise your principles at some point. I compared the situation on Twitter yesterday to when we sold Coutinho, we didn't sign a replacement. And I do think there are some similarities there. So at that time, you relied on Firmino, Mane um, and Salah to stay fit and available. And yes, Lanke is your backup. The difference there is that those three players are robust. So you can bank on, OK, from January to May, more often than not, those three players will stay fit and available. We're doing the same thing now. So we're banking on the availability of Fabinho and Matip and then we have the two backups, the two young lads. So the two young lads are very similar to Solanke, obviously, two younger options. And then you have Henderson who can fill in there. Yeah. The problem is Matip will not stay fit. I can assure you of that. Matip will get injured in the next few weeks. And we'll be having conversations on the podcast about why we didn't sign a centre-back, about now we have to start Reese Williams. So that's the risk for me. I think you risk almost going back to square one where the club finished outside the top four or they can't maybe target the same players they wanted to target initially. Financially, the hands are tied in terms of transfers as well. So I really do think, and like this in FSG, I understand staying loyal to your principles, especially what it's, as it's achieved us, especially because of what we've achieved in the last few weeks and few years, sorry. But I do think there's a time you need to compromise. And if ever there's time to compromise, when you have one fit centre-back who's not someone you can rely on, that's the time to compromise your principles. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think we, we have spoke about it at length and that this is this is the... This is the type of hazardous situation where you do compromise what 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 you your principles that you believe in. Because I also, I also think it can actually be 
more detrimental for them if they we don't sign a centre back because the, the the risk of us finish finish outside top four means less less revenue coming in, less TV focus coming in, no Champions League football. We're we're a far less attractive team, for like financially in the future than 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 if we invested now and then at, at, at minimum maintained a, a top four finish. I, I do agree with that. I think we we've seen we're into this era where we've seen and and Mush I do want your your little deep dive in this and I do think because this is such a big topic we will have our own Patreon piece on this on on, on its own. But on the topic of FSG, we've seen the likes of um, Manchester City, Chelsea, PSG, Leipzig getting bought out by these wealthy owners and people look at them with certain certain type of certain type of way. Obviously Chelsea were the first to do it. We we all look at them as like mm, you're good, but you've obviously had this incredible backing of, um, in, some, in some instances, an entire country or countries, right? But with us, it's always been like this self-sufficient, self-sustainable model. So I want to ask you, what do you prefer? What, what, um, what type of ownership would you, would you be more willing to be under? This ruthlessness of, look, we're on top now, regardless of how bad we may be, we're going to sign more players and keep going. Just that, that, that Abramovich model, right? Or do you want this self-sustainable Liverpool working class? The club follows under the same regime. You only spend what you you only spend what you make, etc. Um, great question, and I'm going to sound like an absolute passion merchant now, but um, I'm I'm very much in the uh, develop something sustainable. But I, I think I hate the word sustainable because sustainable just sounds like you're some kind of small news agents that's trying to survive on a high street or something. Yeah, I think yes. what we what we need to word this as is a model that we feel close to that we can identify with. Like each step of the way that this team has come to become what it is today, we hold to some kind of warmth. Whereas if you've got the Barca model or the Chelsea model, the, the team that maybe wins something two years later when maybe it's a different team, it, it, it wins something. You, you don't have that closeness you don't have that affinity to it you don't, there's no roma and, and some people might disagree with this being important but there's there's no romance behind the story of of how it happened right and, yeah. and you're, you're not invested in the season because i've seen so many chelsea fans for example by let's say october let's say things are going badly they completely tap out of their interest in their team because they know by the by christmas their manager is going to be sacked we'll reload i'll be interested next season I yeah. don't want to support that kind of team. I want to support my team that I know through thick and thin. I have, it's almost like I'm put, I've put part of me into it and I, I care about where this goes. You can have the ownership method, which completely abandons the plan halfway through. But one thing that is a risk in that as well is that if it's not successful, you end up getting to that place where you keep buying stopgap players to try and make up that gap. Whereas like Mike was saying, if Liverpool have a strategy of like, oh, we're not going to sign a player until we need them or they're part of our long-term plan, you're not going to make those crazy stupid signings or signings you don't identify with. So yeah, it's, it's, that's what it comes down to me, man. It, it's, about, it's about identifying. And, and I feel like having a, a billionaire ownership club isn't an, a way to identify with the team. Yeah, I, I, I do like how you said that. We do feel like we have a, a bit of a bit more of a part of, of the club. And I do think that that is a lot that goes into football, in football in general. I do think there's a wider discussion there. And I think it's, it'll, it'll be, it'll be quite intriguing to hear some of some Chelsea fans thoughts and Man City fans thoughts, um, into 
just how much they've really bought into the team. I kind of feel like that when I support the Lakers, for instance, in basketball. I'm like, oh, I kind of just joined on a, a ride that's already there. Like, what, what have I really invested? But how you described it was, was brilliant. Because with Liverpool, because we've invested so much, we've been through so many different times, the highs feel so much higher than they should, but the lows, like, um, similarly, always, always feel so much lower because we're so invested. Yeah, in exactly. But you've got to take both. You can't be yeah. in it for one side yeah, of it. Yeah, true. That's the truth of it, so... Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I absolutely agree. Chris, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to repeat that same question. How is it like for you? What do you, where are you more, I, I, I really know the answer in honesty, but I, I, I want I want the listeners to hear what side of the spectrum are you on? Are you on a, like a, a super team invested with huge amounts of money influx into the, in, in, into the overall team or franchise, whatever? Or are you like this self-sufficient working man, like work your way up, grafting kind of kind of um team and leadership. I sound like a bit of a politician now, aren't I? Well you know as <laughs> as one of the working men, I am uh <laughs> no, trade I unionist mean, trade unionist Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um as someone who is a bit is is quite a frugal uh, frugal man and you know frugality is a sexy quality. Um, oh my god! <laughs> what was that? I never want to do that ever again. I never want to um, do that. At least, we, at least we know one person who's not getting Laurie Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> You're at the game, son. Nah, I got more pulling power than you, man. Trust me. Um, yeah, but back to what I was on. Um, yeah, um, I think the whole issue of the self self sustaining model and having it as you know, something you can live by and spend with your means, etc. It it, it it makes sense. Um, you know, we've not, not had to take external loans and stuff for the development of the stadium. All that development has come from within, and all the improvements we've made as a club have all come from within. I think one of the areas that we still do like to this day, and we've made massive, massive increments to try and improve that, is the commerciality of the club. So when FSG did, FSG did buy the club, we were probably and this is probably putting it conservatively, about 10 years behind Manchester United in terms of commercial ability and how we market the club, yeah. uh, the partnerships, etc. Um, and you can see how far we've come um, uh, over the years by agreeing the agreeing, agreeing the kid deal with Nike. Um, so, you know, it's less money up front, but we're banking on our long-term future, which puzzles me as to possibly why we're not investing the centre-back. And, you know, I think we're all we're all intelligent men here. Then you know we're all intelligent men now in, in, in the Copen group, and we can all understand why you wouldn't want to spend X amount on a centre back um, if it doesn't fit in terms of the long term vision, and if you're not going to have that ROI at the end of it, it makes sense. And the fact that you might not have that money in the pot at this moment to spend, but there's also the caveat point of the owners have made their money in risk management. And by managing risk. So it's a weird one to say that if I spend twenty, twenty five million pounds now to stop an eighty million pound loss in the end of the road, that makes sense. But it's yeah, it's it's weird. And I, I, I do like the model that we have with the club. I'm you know, I'm, I'm on board for the ride. I don't think FSG have been terrible owners by any sense of the word. I think they've done a real good job across the year with some hiccups across the way and you know in, in any business in, in any industry you're going to have those communication issues and you're going to have those um, things that don't sit well with most people uh, at the end of the day too and I think they've done a really good job in terms of the super team point I mean hey it looks fantastic on paper um, but then I think if you ask some PSG fans and say how do you feel about your owners they'd probably say well we've not won a Champions League have we so it's all really been for North we spent the better part of nearly what 
over a billion pounds trying to build this machine and this model to, to win a Champions League and we've come so close to, so close to the summit and we've not, not actually done it. So it's, it, it is a strange one, but look, I think ultimately we do need to buy a centre-back. It's, it's been blatantly obvious ever since Virgil van Dijk went down, let alone Joe Gomez. Um, and what we, I mean, we know for sure that the club had conversations in regards to Ozan Kabak. Um, that was confirmed to me by um, a journalist, and it was reported by James Pierce as well. And look, the, the Sven Botman rumours didn't just come out of thin air. They didn't just intensify as a result. They've taken a look at these players, and there also is the flip side is that Michael Edwards is a guy who has a list, and we know how the club look at players. There's going to be categories. So anyone expecting us to sign anyone in category A, the high, high end, the Upper McConnell's, the Canates, the David Alibers, we all knew that that was not going to happen for anyone. No one has that cash line around, first and foremost. But in terms of the category B, the love room replacement, that fourth centre-back which we needed at the beginning of the season, and, you know, myself, Mike, um, Farouk, Fahi, uh, and even Joe, um, he put it in his own special way, but he did say it. We all said that we need to replace centre-back uh, at the beginning of the season. And ultimately, we didn't do that. We took a risk and we gambled. Which kind of culminates into this point in the fact that the risk management and how they've made their money and how they've managed the club don't fall on the sword that you unite yourself with. So just go out there and just, just, just buy a centre-back, man. I know it's still late in the day, but just, just go and do it, man. We, we, we need this. I need this. Everything's shit at the moment. Everything's really shit. And the one that would cheer us all up whilst we're stuck in our fucking house would be a nice centre-back <laughs> to come in the club and just give one an actual lift. And then give it to the players as well, knowing they've got this guy. This, he might not be a colossus of a man. He might be 5'10". But it could be pretty good. It might just give a lift to everyone in the club and just say, you know, this guy's got our back and we're going to go out there and score a shitload of goals and win. So, so yeah. I put it in my yeah. own special way, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, 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 that was brilliant, mate. That, that, that was excellent. And I, I obviously, I, I echo all of your thoughts. And the, the, um, I am more of a man who does prefer that that built-up model. Like, you just feel way more involved. You feel way, you feel like you're a part of the team. You feel like you're a part of the, the overall um, company, the business, that you, even though without actually having shares in it, you feel like you do. You feel like your success is their success. So, yeah, I agree with you for sure. And, yeah, we do need to understand the back. We've been saying it for, for weeks. Weeks and weeks and weeks. Some people for months. Um, but, yeah, anyway, I am going to stop it there. I do feel like we could have gone for longer. However, we're going to save what that last topic. I, I do think there's more to be said on that. We'll save that for a Patreon exclusive. So please sign up to our Patreon. Um, if you're not already, you can find out about that at patreon.com forward slash copper and fracker. And you'll find out all, find out all about what, what we've done before, all of our post-match podcasts, um, all of our competitions that we have running for Patreon-only members as well. So there's a lot to look forward to. But I'm just going to leave you on this. There's some, there's some food for thought. So Liverpool go away to away to Spurs. They were at home against West Ham, away, at home to Brighton, away to at home to Man City and away to Leicester. So in the, in those fixtures, there are key games, I'd say, are away to Spurs, at home to City and away to, to Leicester City. Um, Mate, we haven't won in ages. They're all key games, man. Are you yes, crazy? Yes, yes. <laughs> they are much, they are much, much. But, but hear me out, hear me out. I was going to leave the listeners with this thought. So we have seen our team not do so well against these, the, low, the lower sides in our, in, in our league, the teams that like to sit back and play. 
if there's ever a team that we actually want to come up against, and in Klopp's in Klopp's um time, he's done well against the better teams. I think this is a good. I'm gonna I'm gonna speak conversely. I'm gonna say this is a good period for us, and it's a good period that the fact that we're playing these tougher sides because it forces us to actually play some football. So, and even if worst comes to where, we'll be able to see what this Liverpool team are really made of, and and. And, the, and 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 let that be that, man. But anyway, I'm just trying to give a bit of positivity to end it on Mush. You know, I know you're, you're, you're not, you're not happy. You know, you know what, Harold? You've, that's such a good point because all these teams that we've got coming up, bar Spurs, we want the situation to get there. Um, uh, all of these teams play a really decent brand of football. And I'm including yeah. West Ham in that because I'm really impressed yeah. with what they've done this season. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how we navigate these games. And look, if we came out with 13 points... God willing, to the various gods, um, you know, that I watch it. Um, if we come away with 13 points from that, mate, I will, I, I, I don't know, the hair might go, it might have to, it might have to go. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, I do want to thank you guys for coming on. Mush, Mike and Chris, thank you very much for joining me, all of you guys for listening, all of you guys listening um, later on, whatever time of the week it is on your various DSPs, thank you so much. And we will see you this time next week on Pop and Fracker. Take it easy, goodbye. Network.